All right, so uh, trying to get rewired here. Last week we started this series um, back up called the ins and outs of Christian community, and this is there, there's any number of ways to take that, uh, and uh, you can take it however you want. But uh, what I actually mean by that is this is just kind of some basic things about community. This is kind of a catch-all. We got to catch up about talking about some things about how we interact with each other. Last week we talked about sin, um, and if you remember, I, you know it was a, it had been a really rugged kind of week around here. Prior to that, I, I asked for prayer at the beginning of the message, just that God's grace would be with us, that that message would come out with the Spirit of Jesus, and that we'd all hear it the way we needed to hear it. You know, in the last uh, twelve years or so of uh, pastoral ministry. I, per capita, I don't know if I've had uh, more feedback than we did from last week, you know, and one of them at least was positive. No, just, um, we, uh, there was a, a whole lot of feedback uh, about people who were saying, you know, God was really communicating to me last week, and I, I sensed that the scriptures were coming alive for me, and there was some stuff that I really needed to do business with. And one of the themes that was interesting coming out of that was there's people saying, I wish that there was more processing space for me with brothers and sisters to be able to process this stuff afterwards to help integrate it into my life, because sometimes I feel like it's like on Sunday morning, I'm just super clear, and I get it, and then there's kind of like a cliff when I hit Monday morning, and it just sort of drops off. Anybody been there? You know? We have that experience at times, and people were saying, I wish we could track that more. And we're working and praying about how that works for us. And um, But one of the things that I saw, heard in those emails and in those phone calls was people talking about the fact that they were processing with their family around the table. They were talking with their spouse later on. They were talking with their coworkers about the message. They were going back and listening to the message again, and they were processing it again. And those are great things to do. You know, um, When Josh was just talking about the deacons, um, and when he was reading from Acts 6 there about the deacons, it says that the deacons were going to do this work of service. And what that was going to do was empower those other people to invest their time into the word and prayer. And the reason is so they were, they were giving, giving space to people just to pray and just to be in the Bible. You know, the, the, the modern day pastor is the, the job does not look like we take um, the, the big chunk of our time just in word and prayer, unfortunately. You know, the, that's, that's really the biblical ideal. But there's so much going on, and we're trying to figure it out, and we're, there's a brokenness about us that we're, we're trying to, to, to deal with. But there is space in our week that is dedicated to getting into the Word of God, saying, what does this Bible say? And then begging God and saying, not only what does the text actually say, but then what are you trying to say through that to us right here and right now? You know? And so, you know, there's awesome preachers out there incredible ones. And I dial them up every week in my podcasts or, or, or on the radio. And I hope you do too, because it's enriching to hear the perspective of, of wise, wise people who have studied the scriptures. Um, but there's also something that's a blessing about having people who are here, Sunday school teachers, journey group leaders, pastors, who are thinking about how does this word apply to us? You know, specifically here in the Northeast, in greater Pottstown area, at Parker Ford Church. You know, and so uh, one of the tools that's available to us is uh, um, that, that stuff's online, you know. And I would encourage you, definitely, go back and listen again to process again, you know. Because that's what we, we do this for, is not just for, to write a book or something for the, the masses to hear the scriptures. There's a lot of people who do that, and that's their calling. But But this is... God, what are you saying through the word of God for us at Parker Ford Church? You know? And so that's specifically for us. Um, and so 
having conversations about that and going back and listening again. If you miss a week, I, I'd urge you. That's what it's there for. Go back and, and check it out. You know, uh, it'll be a blessing to you. Um, we're going to be, we only have a few minutes actually this morning for the teaching because, uh, we also have communion, uh, and we had, you know, the, the conversation about the, the deacons and then we have communion. So it's going to be a, a shorter message today and you're all saying, yeah, right. Uh, but seriously, we'll see. Start your clock in about 10 minutes. <laughs> um, we, uh, we have a little less space. So today I, we, we're still going to look at two texts of scripture, but I'm just going to make a couple uh, notes about those two texts of scripture and then kind of transition us in out of uh, the last message and into communion here. So uh, the first place that we're going to look is Galatians chapter six. And um, I, I'm going to I'm going to have you uh, stand when we read that. But I want to pray uh, so you can stand with me and we'll we'll uh, pray and then I'm going to read it. Father, with all the concerns that you have heard, you know, that we've lifted up to you today, we bring our intercessions and we cast our cares upon you because you care for us. And then we say, um, no matter what else is going on in our lives, we believe that there's a message that you have, that there are messages all through this word, the Bible, but we believe that there's one in particular that you want to speak to us as a church today. And then there are probably unique messages that you want to speak to each of us as individuals. And we just invite you, come Lord Jesus, speak into our lives in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can stay standing for the reading of the word. Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. May God add rich blessings to you from the reading of his word. You can have a seat. So uh, a couple things here. Uh, of course, this is Galatians 6. The end of Galatians 5 is the fruit of the Spirit. So it just got done telling us what it looks like when we pursue a relationship with God and how the Spirit produces those fruits. And then it goes in and it says, all of us struggle with temptation. We all fall. We, and, and basically it's saying, if there's a brother who's in sin, what's our job? Just to restore him. Yeah. And what's the method of restoration? The, how are we restoring Gently, meekly, reigned in strength. And it says, be careful because you yourself may do what? Be tempted. Now, does that mean I'm going to be tempted with the same sin they're being tempted with? Doubt it. Otherwise, that would really mess up my recovery plan for them. You know, chances are what's actually I'm going to be tempted with is what? Self-righteousness, 
right? I'm sitting here restoring them. I'm in a position of, I got it right. You need my help, you know? So I'm the good one. And then, of course, it says, we carry each other's burdens. We carry each other's burdens. In verse 2, it says we carry each other's burdens. But then in verse 5, there's this interesting thing where it says, yeah, but everybody has to carry their own burden. Isn't that weird how in verse 2 it says carry each other's burdens and in verse 5 it says carry your own? What's the tension there? Well, the, the, the tension is this. It says when you go to restore a brother or sister, don't be too quick to just look at their stuff. Go and pursue your own stuff. And when you do then you can only brag about your own stuff, not about someone else's, which is a funny tack to take because the Bible doesn't actually believe in us bragging about our righteousness. That would be called self-righteousness, the same problem. But what it's actually saying is Peter's like, oh, so um, if you want to feel like a hot shot when you go to restore someone else, just take a good hard look at yourself and see if you can still feel that way. You know, that's basically what he's saying, of course, which we can all agree on, that part of being the community of Christ is the fact that we're all broken. The reason that we need this shed blood and this broken body, the reason we need that cross is because we all fail open, right? We're a mess and we need Jesus. However, we don't just say, okay, we have Jesus, we need Jesus, throw our arms up in the air, live however we want, the grace is there, whatever. No, the whole point of coming together as a community is to encourage each other to more fully live within the reality of being a forgiven and loved people. And so we're encouraging one another, but the, but the, the, the concern is in the process, we don't get snippy and judgmental with each other and try to gauge ourselves based on each other, right? So there are two of the three points. One is that we do effectively carry each other's load. Whether we like it or not, just like we said last week, whatever our sins are, whether they're against a person and whether the person is even aware of it or not, they have negative effects on the community and therefore we all pay the price for the sin, right? All of us do. So we carry each other's burdens whether we like it or not. That just is what it is. On the other hand, what it's saying is the best way we can actually help carry another person's burden is by creating less. <laughs> so I can help your life by creating less drag in your life by, by asking God to cleanse mine. So if I have my calendar in order, and if I have my spiritual life in order, if I have my time and my finances, if God is refining those and sanctifying those, then the church is going to be better off for it, and the community is going to be able to function better. That's the best thing that I have to offer the community, but it's not the only thing. I also am supposed to help others refine as well. Okay. And then at the very end of that text, it says this. It says, let's not give up on doing good. Every time we have the opportunity, we have to do good things to everyone. And then it gives us a priority at the end of that text. And it says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Yeah. So there's a priority. You know, um, there's always this thing when it comes to um, trying to have wisdom in our lives. There's, you know, when you look at the text, there's so much in the scripture that is asked of us. You know, if we give our lives over to God, we're like, how do we get it all going? But then it's really important to have a priority list to say, what, what's he pr- first asking us to look at? And it's important to know that our first priority is to be investing into the household of faith. It's not first to go out and make the disciples. It's not first to go out on mission. The first thing is to encourage each other to be the church. Christian fellowship, it goes up, then in, then out. There is an important order to that. Up, 
in our relationship with God, in toward the relationship with each other, then out toward the engagement of the world. The mission is very important, but the mission is not everything. It really isn't. Because before the Great Commission, there's a great commandment that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, and those things come prior to the Great Commission. So I could be working really hard. We could be working really hard as a church to to fill the pews and and grow a church and do all that. But if we're not loving the Lord and taking care of each other, then we're not actually a church. You know, we we lost the idea. We're just a business of making disciples, and and sometimes that's how we function. You know, but we're called to more than that. We're called to the fellowship of believers, and we're called to encourage each other. And so when it comes to that, you know, in Acts chapter two, there's a standard that's set about what it looks like if the church is really living in deep fellowship. And we did that whole series. The paintings are still hanging on the wall out there. The ancient future practices of the church where it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And it says they met in each other's homes every night. Anytime someone had a need, they'd sell property or sell whatever they had and they'd give it to the other person. And they're constantly having communion together. They're worshiping together. They're meeting every day in the temple courts. The level of life together that's going on in Acts chapter two is pretty crazy compared to our culture, isn't it? Have you ever thought about what it would be like to try to live that out fully right here, right now? I mean, I've thought about that so many times. I think about that all the time. (laughs) I mean, I'm constantly, that's because, you know, that's partially my job is to try to help us live within that. You know, I'm like, but in our world, how do you do that? You know? Because we live in a world right now that is stretched thin. And our lives are stretched thin and our budgets and our calendars are stretched thin. And how could we possibly invest ourselves into one another the way that they did in Acts chapter 2? It's a very, very difficult thing to comprehend how that could possibly work. Which takes us to our other text, which is in 1 Peter so if you have your Bible and you want to turn to First Peter, um, we can look. We're not going to get through this whole thing. Um, just to give you a heads up, Garrett, we're only going to get to a couple verses within it. Um, this is it, it, what's not up there is in verse 13 to 16, because um, I'm not trying to teach about that. But that's, again, about the God making us holy, setting us apart, being a people who can function well together, who can love one another, who aren't burdened by sin. And it's saying, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. You know, have your hopes set fully on the grace. And it's a kind of a cleansing passage. And then you get to verse 17, okay? And when you get to verse 17, this is the part that I really want us to hear. It says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds and conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Okay, this is a weird passage. It takes a little bit of focusing in on it to figure out what it means, what this is about, because it's assuming it was talking about be holy as your father in heaven is holy. And then it says, if you call on the one who is father, who judges impartially, if the last phrase was be holy, it assumes that we're calling out on the father. Why? Because we can't be holy on our own, and we know we're broken, so we need God, so we're calling out on him, and we're saying, help us be holy. We can't do this. And then it says, you're calling to the one who judges each man's work impartially. Think back at the text we just looked at in Galatians, where it says, we carry each other's burdens, but then we're each responsible to carry our own, right? And it says, he judges each 
person's work impartially. In other words, he's a college professor who's looking and you have a study group and you don't get graded just A on every what everyone gets in the study group. What he's going to say is you guys have a project that you work on together and I need to see that you can work on this project and you will be graded by how, how you all do together. But then I also know how each person's do it. Whether you're just, you know, kind of mooching on the group or whether you're overworking in the group or whatever it is, I see it all. Like I'm the father. And then what he says after that is really interesting. He says, since God is seeing all of you, continue to serve in fear, to live in fear. And which very rarely do you hear the command of like just abstract fear in scripture. It's perfect love drives out fear, right? Fears that go in the other way. But this obviously is talking about the fear of the Lord. Okay. So um, when everything else wants to dictate what we're afraid of, he's saying, choose what you will be afraid of. Be afraid of me. Even in what? While you are in, what's it say? Exile. Exile. Now, if you don't have an, if you don't have an, uh, an ESV version, it says something else there. Does anybody have another version they're reading? What's that? Stranger. Yes. Okay. So stranger. The reason we made the switch to an ESV, NIV reads a lot nicer, but it misses some of these really important words like exile. Because if you speak to a first century Jew and you use the word exile, it means something much more than just a sojourner or a stranger or an alien. The word exile is going to go Rolodex in their mind, in their biblical mind. And what are they going to think about when they think about exile? Babylon. They're going to think about Babylon. They're going to be like, yeah, it was not that long ago that we got this temple back, Right? And then Jesus is coming in, throwing tables over in it and all of that, you know. And now we're not even living in Jerusalem anymore because those people who run the temple, namely this guy, Paul, who's some great apostle now, ran us out of town by killing our first deacon, you know. And so when they're thinking exile, they're remembering, man, yeah, we were in Babylon. Now, they personally weren't. It was generations before. But they're very accustomed to this word exile. And Peter's doing this. At the beginning of the book, if you, t- if you turn to verse 1 of First Peter, what he says is he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exile. <laughs> the, the people who are elected to be in exile. That's who he's writing the book to. He says, those of you who are exiled. Now, what, is it, what does that mean? Now, we've got to go back to the picture of exile for a minute in order to understand what he's saying here. When you think about exile, this is when all the people in southern Israel and Judah got taken to Babylon. The Assyrians had taken care of the northern part of Israel, never to be seen again. But the southern part, Judah, was taken to Babylon. Okay, And when they got to Babylon, what that meant was there was a very important city in Judah that they were no longer in possession of, the Jews. What city is that? Jerusalem. Okay, they didn't have Jerusalem anymore. There's a mountain that's very important in Jerusalem. What mountain is that? Mount Zion. Why is Mount Zion important? On top of Mount Zion sits what? Used to sit the temple. Okay, And on that temple, there was a place where they worship God and meet God. Since the time of Moses, all the way through to this time of exile, God had made it clear how they should worship God. He set up this tabernacle and they come and they got to, they have the connection with God and the Holy of Holies. But in order to get there, they have to offer sacrifice. Here's the problem. What happens when you get taken to exile and now you live in Babylon, but you don't have Mount Zion? It means that you can't offer 
sacrifice. Which means that I can't engage in relationship with God the way I'm supposed to because I'm in exile. We don't have the means. What happens when you're a person of faith, a man or a woman of faith, and yet there isn't even the space available for you to connect with God the way he's asked you to in the scriptures? Well, fortunately, there's a couple people in the scriptures who reveal that to us, who are in Babylon, who are great people of faith. Who are they? Who was in Babylon but had great faith? Daniel. Did you say Danny? <laughs> Danny. I love it. So Danny and the lion's den, you know, um, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, you know, and we see these people of great faith. And what Peter is trying to, to, to spark in the Christians' minds at this point is, you see, they look at Acts chapter 2. For them, it was like, we look at a decade ago. You know, we look back a decade or two, back in the golden years when we were younger and the church was alive and the Holy Spirit fire fell and we were all hanging out together and every night we were worshiping together and it was great and we all knew each other's names and took care of each other and encouraged each other and now we're spread all over the world because we were persecuted and we got nothing left. And he's saying, remember Daniel. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, when the space isn't available, there's still space for faith. Okay? Still hang on. Now, what does Daniel do when he can't be at Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice to God? So he knows already he can't be biblical, right? He can't live according to the Bible because the Bible says to offer the sacrifice, but he can't do it because he can't get there. So what does he do? Does he give up? He goes up into his room and he opens the windows and faces toward Jerusalem. And he prays. And he says, God, it's supposed to be different than this. Restore us. Turn us back. Bring us back to the place where we can actually do this. Because right now, we've messed things up so bad that there isn't even enough space available. We don't even have the geography where you called us to worship you. So we have no way to obey you right now. We're beyond the ability to obey you because we have been judged and taken into exile because we haven't fully done our job. And you've had to punish us. And so this amazing thing happens in exile because, you know, prior to the, to the people getting taken to Babylon... It's not like the Jews were doing a banner job of worshiping God. That's the whole reason they got taken into exile was because there was this self-deception that says, well, if I go to the, if I go to Jerusalem and I offer the sacrifice and I do this thing, then I'm good with God, right? And yet their hearts are far from God. So God has to remove the deception. And he says, I'm not going to let you worship me anymore because I'm not going to let it be fake. And so they go to the place of exile. And what Peter's saying now to the church, is saying, look, you're not in Jerusalem anymore. In, if you move on in this, in this text, if you, if we were to go into chapter two, it's, it tells us what the new temple is. It says that we are the living stones that are being built into the temple of God. And so Christian fellowship, the community of believers is the temple. That's where we come to worship. That's where we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. 
Because my sacrifice is to give myself to the community, to give myself to the church, to give myself to the temple. That's where I offer my sacrifice of my time, of my finances, of my gifts and talents, of my heart, of my care and investment, giving into the community. That's how we're called to do it. That's our act of sacrifice. That's the temple. But what's happening now is they were spread all over the place because of persecution. And so what he's saying, you're exiles. However... However, okay, and this gets us to the point, okay? Here it goes. I'm going to have us keep reading just a little bit further here. In verse 18, it says, actually, let's just skip. Well, no, we'll do it. Verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That's the communion that we celebrate today. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now here it is, verse 22. This is the command in the midst of being in exile. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. All right, we have affection and care and brotherly love for each other. Now here's the command. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. It's awesome. So this is what he's saying. You're in exile. You can't do things the way it's supposed to be done. But guess what? I want you to knuckle down and do everything you can, burning with passion in front of God, and get on your knees and be like, God, I know this isn't the way it's supposed to be. I can't figure out how to get my calendar and my checkbook and my time and my talents and all that stuff to fit in like Acts chapter 2 looks like when the church was just functioning really well together. We can't seem to figure out how to make this happen. But like Daniel, I'm going to get at my window and I'm going to look out toward Jerusalem and I'm going to say there's a better day ahead because this is what you've asked of us and we're going to trust you for it and we're going to look at what is in our lives and we're going to invest what we do have we're going to give our best to it in in revelation chapter three there's this church the church of sardis and the 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 books are written the letters are written to these churches and it says to the church of sardis it says i know your reputation i know that i know that you have a reputation for good deeds but i know that inside you're dying but it says I want you to wake up and I want you to strengthen what remains. See, what happens when we're in exile is that we're in Babylon. And all of a sudden, the Babylonians come around and they say, we have really good pork. And they say, we have really good wine. And we have a a, a corporate ladder that you can climb and become right next to the king. And we have a a plan for your life that's going to be great, you know. And these young Judeans come in. And they're trying to maintain perspective. And they know what their life is supposed to be according to God. But now here they are in Babylon. They can't worship the God the way they're supposed to. And it would be very, very easily easy to just kind of assimilate to culture. And just become what culture is. And begin to live life that way. But what you find is you find Daniel saying, I won't eat this. 
And I won't drink this. And I'm going to pray over here. And I'm not going to try to climb the ladder and play the game that everyone else is. I'm going to maintain my integrity. And even though it doesn't mean that I'm going to be able to worship God in Jerusalem the way I think I should, I'm still going to live according to the biblical principles because the word of the Lord stands forever and everything else fades. And I don't need it to be Jerusalem and ideal in order for me to do what I'm supposed to do. And so each one of us, here's the point. Here's the point. I don't know about you, but the idea of being able to be in a community where we really love one another, where we care for each other, where we're carrying each other's burdens, where we're on the phone or meeting together all the time, there's some really cool things about that. You know, the idea, like when I read Acts chapter two, I read it with this like great romance of like, man, the church loved one another and cared for one another and they were there for one another. And But then when it comes down to it in my life right now, I find that very difficult. Because I live in a world that's so individualized that once I get too close to someone else, I'm afraid of what I'll have to give up because I'm trying to still maintain my individual space within it. Do you know what I mean? Don't act like you don't. (laughs) You know what I mean. And thank you. And, you know, we struggle with this. We struggle with it. But here's the deception. The deception is that the Christian community was ever about me anyway. It wasn't about what it offered me. It was about what I was supposed to invest into it. And so even though we don't have the time and the space to be completely, you know, communal and singing kumbaya all the time with each other and all that stuff that would be nice, we don't have that. Our lives are stressed out and we're busy and we have all sorts of stuff and we're trying to figure out how to make it work. But what the Bible is saying is earnestly love one another from the heart. Invest, not because it's going to work or that you're going to see some immediate return, but because the word of the Lord stands forever. And in due time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So don't give up on the idea of biblical community. And no matter how much it hurts our lives, we got to invest. You know, in a world that's stretched thin, some people have to work extra jobs in order to pay the bills. But God's blessing belongs to a father or mother who still makes space to be at the dinner table. Because we understand that in the midst of all the chaos, things might not be ideal and we might not be able to do it right. But just the idea and the category in my mind of the dinner table isn't enough. I actually still have to practice it in order to feel it and stay connected. You know, I might be a great composer, but I still have to work on the scales in order to keep my mind and my fingers fresh. And in order to keep my mind working right so I can compose that stuff. And when it comes to the kingdom of God, we can have the idea of biblical community and a theology of biblical community, but it won't actually be an act of faith and we won't strengthen what remains unless I invite someone to have coffee with me, unless I invite them over to my house, unless we find a way to connect, unless we practice Christian fellowship. And when it seems like there's no space in my life and when it seems like there's no time and when it seems like my house is a mess and I don't want people coming up into it and when it seems like, you know, whatever's going on, strengthen what remains. Love one another deeply from the heart because it's only in this way that we can faithfully, faithfully honor God in the midst of an exiled culture 
a culture that doesn't respect the church as the center of our lives anymore. It's not like my boss is going to respect the church as the center of my life. It's not like the community uh, sports that my kids play are going to respect that the church is the center of my life. They're going to play on Sundays. My boss is going to ask me to work this time. Everybody's going to demand everything else. But I am part of the pillar and foundation of truth. I am part of the salt of the earth. I'm the one who's to hold the line, not them. I can't blame the culture. My job is to stand up in the middle of it like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, I'm not going to bend my knee. I'm still going to do what I'm supposed to do because the word of the Lord stands forever. Throw me into the fiery furnace. Keep from promoting me. Throw me into the lion's den. I don't really care. This is what the scriptures say. I believe it, so I'm going to do it because I trust God, not me and not my culture. Fellowship. Committing to care in the church. That's what he's asking of us. It's not easy. I don't know how it works. I'll be honest, I don't know how it works right now. There's not enough time, there's not enough space. All I'm saying is, don't give up. Still try, care. There's a lot of grace when you're in exile. Nothing's perfect, you know? We got grace for each other in this stuff, but we gotta, we gotta do our best to, to do what we can, to invest and be faithful in the middle of it. Josh is gonna come and he's gonna lead us through communion. And as he does, um, there's two things that this communion represents, Okay. One is, of course, it represents the sacrifice because since we're a fallen and confessional culture here at church, it means that we actually need a sacrifice for our sins. We can't do it any more than Daniel could offer sacrifice. doesn't happen. He doesn't have Jerusalem. We don't have the ability to be what we're supposed to be in the church, and so we need someone to offer sacrifice for us, and Jesus is the sacrifice. And we just need to praise him with every fiber of our being today as we take this bread and as we take this cup. Much more than a song of praise, much more than anything else, this act right here, the central act of worship, of receiving the bread, receiving the cup, is our act of praise and our act of submission to God. Second thing it represents, this bread that we will bring that is broken for us that we're going to hand out. The picture of this is that the body of Christ used to be a loaf of bread. He used to be here on earth. The, he was called the bread of life, the living word. But that loaf of bread got torn into a bunch of pieces and each one of us put some of it in our lives. You know, God, he was birthed in our lives. And that's the picture as we eat. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And as we consume Christ, and and a part of Christ lives within us. Now, if you want to find Jesus, we don't find him just in one person. We can only find him among us. Among us. Which is why we need Christian fellowship. Because I can't represent Christ on my own. Neither can you. We need to be together in order for Christ to be re- revealed among us. First John 4.12 says the love of, that, that God has never been seen, but the love of God is made manifest through the love of the brethren. As we love one another, we reveal it.